Good morning. I'm uh, glad we have a chance to think about the good news of our faith. I will begin this morning by reference to the little Christian congregation at Corinth that Paul founded. Church members at Corinth acted the way church members act. They prayed, they sang, they worshiped, they ate together, they cared for each other. They acted the way church members act. They argued, they boasted, they disputed, they got into each other's face. And the problem became so acute that the Apostle Paul, who cared for that congregation, made a pastoral intervention. He wrote them a letter that we call 1 Corinthians. It's the first letter he wrote to the church at Corinth. And in that letter, he expresses his alarm by asking the Corinthians two questions that kind of blew things open for them. The first question he asks is, what do you have that you didn't receive? And they don't answer. They just kind of look at the floor. But the right answer for Paul is, you don't have anything that you didn't receive. It's all a gift. That was the great insight of the Reformation that we celebrate today. The Reformation was the fresh new discovery that it's all a gift from God that we call grace. So we sing all good gifts are sent from heaven above. None of it is earned, none of it is deserved, none of it is an achievement, none of it is a possession. It's all a gift. And then Paul asked his second question, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? And again, they do not answer, but they did boast. They boasted about being wealthy. They boasted about being smart. They boasted about being pious. And the reason they boasted is that they had forgotten that it was a gift. They thought it was an achievement. So consider what happens when we forget that all of life is a gift. Back in the 16th century, in the time of the Reformation, the church had forgotten that life was a gift from God, and they tried to market it. They tried to sell the grace of God. The crassest example of that marketing by the church is that they had one preacher who taught that if you give dollars to the church, one of your loved ones will be sprung out of hell. It was all a quid pro quo transaction. And now we live in a political economy that has mostly forgotten that it's all a gift. And when we forget that it's a gift, it becomes a transaction, it becomes quid pro quo, it becomes a bargain. And in that world, the wealthy prevail over the strong, and, and the, over the weak and the wealthy prevail over the strong, and it all becomes a rat race so that we start to think after a while that people who give themselves away as a gift are suckers and losers. And because it's all a competition with each other, we always ask the question about what's in it for me. How do I benefit? And the process is a never-ending proposition of trying to win. 
and eventually we get so preoccupied with getting ahead and controlling and having more and being right and being in control that we have this terrible fear that somebody who is undeserving is getting something for nothing. So it was in, the, in Luther's 16th century at the time of the Reformation. We, like Luther, were embedded in a social system that was greedy and parsimonious and fearful. And what we are learning in our day, that when a society is greedy and fearful and parsimonious, it eventually becomes a violent society because we will do anything to get ahead and to have our say. So this is a, an urgent time for people in the church. And while we are watching the world seem like it's coming unglued before our very eyes, I suggest that this is a time for the church to take a deep breath. It is a time for church members to think again and for Christians to remember our baptism and to remember what we've signed on for. We have signed on for a world that is pure gift. And we confess as Christians that we live in a world that is governed by a self-giving God. So we confess that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And when the father gave the son away, the father also gave himself away. So Paul's questions are pertinent to us Christians when he asks, what did you get that you didn't receive? And the answer is nothing. I have nothing that I did not receive as a gift and as a sign of God's self-giving goodness. And because that is our faith, we know that the quid pro quo world of transactionalism, of greed and fear and violence is a false world. It is a phony construct and we do not need to participate in it. So here's the good news, that we are made in the image of this self-giving God who holds nothing back from the world that God's love, God loves. And because we are in the image of this self-giving God, it is our identity and our vocation to be self-givers in the world, the same way that God is a self-giver in the world. So just for fun, I picked out as an Old Testament reading this strange story about Elijah in 2 Kings 5, where a Syrian general, it's an enemy of Israel in the old days, like now, a Syrian general has leprosy, and Elijah strangely and mysteriously heals him of leprosy. So the Syrian general, who is, doesn't understand about Israel, wants to pay for the healing. He pulls out his wallet, or his credit card, and he says to Elijah, what I owe you. And Elijah says, it's all free. It's all from God. It doesn't cost anything. Healing is free. Healthcare is free. 
And the general shakes his head because he doesn't understand, but he goes back to Damascus and they ask him about it, how to go. And he said, I am haunted by the question, what do I have that I didn't receive? And what I received was healing for which I didn't have to pay. It's an amazing story. So I had this fantasy about God. I had this fantasy from these texts that God wakes up every morning and asks God's self three questions. The first question that God asks, I imagine, is what gifts shall I give today? Well, God has many gifts to give. God gives rain and sunshine and peace and healing and freedom and dignity and viability. The second question God asks is to whom shall I give all these good gifts today? I'm not going to give them to the rich and to the secure and to the well-connected. I'm going to, God says, I'm going to give them to the left behind. In the Old Testament, the left behind are the widows and the orphans and the immigrants. They get God's good gift. In the New Testament, uh, Jesus' gifts to the world are the publicans and sinners and the lame and the deaf, lepers and the poor. And in our world, you know the list, the left behind, many people of color, poor people, gays, lesbians, Palestinians, all those people who are squeezed out of the goodies. God says, that's to whom I'll give the gifts. So the first question is, what gifts shall I give? The second question is, to whom shall I give them? And the third question is, how shall I transmit these gifts to these left behind people? And that's where we come in. The church consists in gift-giving people who refuse the quid pro quo of calculating and bargaining and transactionalism. We are the community that does not have to ask what's in it for me because we receive many gifts. So we have from God gifts to give of compassion and mercy and forgiveness and generosity and hospitality and restorative justice. And there's a special footnote for Presbyterians because our godfather, John Calvin, understood that the paying of good, wise, generous taxes is a form of the self-giving of God's people to God's neighbors. As I thought about the quid pro quo church of Luther's time, and as I thought about the quid pro quo world in which we mostly live, I thought of Paul's two questions to the church in Corinth. What do you have that you didn't receive? And the answer is nothing. Why then do you boast? And the answer is we boast because we have forgotten that it's all gift. 
And then I thought, dear people of Montview, there are two other questions that we might ask ourselves at daybreak before we brush our teeth. These are early morning questions to frame our day in faithfulness. The first question is, what have you received as a gift? It's a good thing at the beginning of the day to count the gifts. Well, we might answer good health, good family, good work, good education without any debt, or a healthy body, or good friends who care, or deep love, or deep hope. It's all gift. It's all gift that we did not earn, that we do not deserve, and we do not have to pretend that it's an achievement. That's the first question to ask before you brush your teeth. What do I receive as a gift? And the second question to ask early in the morning is, what gifts might I give today that have been given to me that I can pass along? This might be the gift of my money in generous ways. This might be the gift of my time to give myself to a neighbor. This might be the gift of a particular skill set or a talent or a capacity for neighborliness or a political engagement for justice or a long-term financial investment in the common good or a letter or a prayer or a protest or a good word. These are all gifts that we could give today that have transformative potential. And it is likely that if we do not ask these two questions, it is likely that we will by default go along with the anti-worldly fear and greed of the world. So if you want to participate in the ongoing work of the Reformation, that after 400 years is not finished, pose these two questions every day for a while. What have I received today as a gift? And what might I give today as a gift? We may position ourselves as part of the gift-receiving, gift-giving world because God is a gift-giving God. It turns out that we live in the same world as Elijah, who did free healing. What a thought, free health care. Who knew? Or we may be bamboozled like the Syrian general who was dazzled by free health care because he had never received any free gifts in his life. When we live in a gift-giving, gift-receiving world, we do not need to belong to the dog-eat-dog -dog world of greed and fear 
and violence. We do not need to participate in the conventional ways of accumulation and hoarding for ourselves. It is worth remembering that these two questions that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4 are in the same letter that Paul, where Paul wrote about a more excellent way. You know these words from 1 Corinthians 13. It's the same letter. It's the same deal. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three. And the greatest of these is love. This is about being reformed. That's what the reformation, the reformation is about. It is about being reformed after we have been deformed. We have been deformed by the powerful codes of fear and greed and violence. And now the Spirit of God is at work reforming us that we may become more truly ourselves as God's good creatures. We are gift-receiving, gift-giving partners of God's endless flow of generosity that makes all things new. It is very good news at daybreak. Amen.